Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Licton Lifestyle. I'm Steve Peck, along with Dr. Edward Licton, the expert in the field of anti-aging and wellness medicine, and the author of the textbook of Bioidentical Hormones. We have another compelling show for you today, as we'll be speaking with one of Dr. Licton's patients, James, who suffers heart failure. You'll learn how Dr. Licton is helping treat James's heart failure, a very important show, one you don't want to miss. Now, for future shows, if you'd like to ask Dr. Licton a question, you can do so by calling our listener line. Here's how it works. You call the number, leave your question on voicemail, and we'll answer your question in a future episode. The number to call is area code 248-686-2256. The number again for our listener question line is area code 248 686-2256. And now let's join the interview with James and Dr. Lichten as we discuss heart failure. So today on the Lichten Lifestyle, we'll be talking about heart failure. And we have one of Dr. Lichten's guests in studio. And James will be with us in a few minutes and he'll share his experience. James has a disease called cardiomyopathy. Myopathy is muscle. So his heart muscle, cardio, myo, doesn't work proper. Mm -hmm. The trouble he has is that within every cell, there's an energy part called the mitochondria. He's born with a genetic defect. So where your car runs on regular, his barely runs on jet fuel. You know, when I was looking this up, heart failure, because that's really what we're talking about, is heart failure, I was amazed with the numbers Heart failure affects about 5 million Americans. Roughly 550,000 people are diagnosed with heart failure every year, and it's the leading cause of hospitalization in people older than 65 years old. So it's quite common, isn't it? Yes, and the way you have to think about this is that when you get old enough, something's going to fail, and the number one thing that fails is the heart. So the number one cause of death over 85 is heart failure. The number one cause of expense to Medicare is heart failure. Uh And because of the accelerated process that Jim has in that his heart needs more energy than he can provide, Uh that means his heart failure at 35 parallels what we see in 5 million men and women at 85. Uh So we can look at this as a premature aging or almost as a death sentence because his heart can't get the energy it needs for him to survive. It's got to be hard to um, get that diagnosis. But in researching this also, help me understand the stages. I understand that there are four stages. And in the first one, which sounds like the most common or the entry point, uh, the stage includes high blood pressure, diabetes, coronary artery disease, uh, history of... uh, cardiotoxic drug therapy, alcohol abuse, uh, and different things like that. And as you move up the stages, it includes prior heart attacks, valve disease, and then up to stage three with shortness of breath, fatigue, reduced ability to exercise, and finally, you're in full-blown heart failure when you get to stage D. So is that how it always presents, that you have the different stages? or you, you, uh, well, you, you can start off in heart failure, you have a bad heart attack and there's nothing left, and you're barely around and you die. I mm-hmm. mean, so the term we use is New York. New York one, two, three, and four. So what happens is, and this correlates with some medical measurements, but New York stage one is, well, you're pretty well functional on flat ground, you can walk a block or two uh, without getting short of breath. And then stage two, you can't go up a flight of stairs, you have increased shortness of breath. New York stage three is uh, basically you've got to be at rest, you can't take more than a few steps. Stage four is you're even short of breath when you're sitting in a chair. Why New York? Because that's the people at one of the New York hospitals who devised this 100 years ago. So it's called a New York staging Hmm. between one and four. Now we've become more scientific, or the cardiologists have anyway, And they now correlate this to how strong is the ability of your heart to push out or pump out blood. 
And what we call this is the ejection fraction. Mm -hmm. When you squeeze, can you empty 65% of your heart? That's a normal ejection fraction is 65%. When you're in a New York stage four, you may not be able to push out 12% of the blood in your heart. So now we have a correlation between a clinical measurement that's 100 years old called the New York staging, and now we have an ultrasound measurement that says we can pinpoint to a percentage point how much blood you're able to eject. It's all the same. If the guy is short of breath, mm -hmm. sitting in a chair, turning blue, he's in New York stage four, and he's not going to survive very long. Well, if you're less than 40% on that, what do you do? Is there anything that you can do? Well, there's all kinds of things we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. um, and basically, if you're functioning at 45% and above, it's you know pretty normal life. Uh, uh, we'll be able to ask James, what was your life like when your ejection fraction was less than 15%? What is it like now when even last hospitalization you were over 40%? How does this affect your life? And I think that's more important clinically is what's happening. Yeah, so the thing we have to understand is, yes, we can put numbers on it, but numbers are connected to real people, and real people live with this. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, yes, it's terrible even if you have an 85-year-old with heart failure, but what about a 35-year-old with heart failure? And that's a realization we're going through, that we can learn by treating the 35-year-old and make a difference for the 5 million people who are older who have similar manifestations. And you believe if you get on top of this at an early point, you can lengthen your life? Well, just ask James. Well, let's ask him. Welcome, James, to the program. Thanks for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. So talk to me a little bit about how yours presented. When did you learn about this? What did you originally notice? How old were you when you... 40. Okay. 40. It usually hits people. Now, well, now they know it hits you when you're about 40. And uh, it's somehow akin to SIDS, too. I've been reading that lately. SIDS I is... The, the infant death syndrome, right. uh, which is talking about a dysfunction of certain mitochondria. But more important is, you know, for our listeners who know nothing about what's going on, we want them to be in your shoes. So here you are, 40 years of age, something happened and you knew something was wrong. And, you know, what was it, Jim? Um, first, you start noticing you're not as, uh, well, you don't have the energy and the drive that you did you have a bad day or two like everybody else does, so you ignore it. Then you notice that there's many bad days. When you say not the energy, are you tired? Are you winded? Um, both. Yeah. Winded, tired like you have a flu, but without the flu symptoms. Out of nowhere. You just all of a sudden start feeling funky. Yeah, literally out of nowhere, just like wham, like a hammer hits you. Man. Then, right. then it progresses. You start getting cold because you have no energy in your body. This particular version of the disease there's no carnitine in, in my system and i need to live on carbohydrates i didn't know any of this and nobody knew any of this back then so you're, you're cold you're fatigued and you finally decide well i gotta check this out so what kind of doctor did you go to first um well because of the cold even in the summertime wearing a parka when it's 80 sitting in front of a heater and it's still freezing to death they decided it was a sugar problem, so I went and saw a general uh, practitioner first to be checked for diabetes. That was the first step. Okay, and uh, he checks you over for diabetes, he listens to your heart, he looks at your purple hands, and he says, You don't have diabetes, uh, try, um, I believe the next step was uh, asthma, to try an asthma doctor. All right. So we go to doctor number two, and the asthma doctor measures your oxygen levels and maybe did a pulmonary function test, which says how well can you blow out, and how'd you do on your pulmonary function tests? Um, the first time around, everything was perfect, but they started loading me up with prednisone anyway because they said it couldn't hurt because hmm. maybe I was higher than normal and didn't know it because I had never been tested. So to me, this was... Not acceptable, and my body noticed. Well, so, Dr. Licken, they were missing some things here. I can tell from your questions, but would you have been on a different path uh, just if he came in originally? I mean, what he, would lead you to believe right off the bat that there was a heart issue? 
Well, first of all, most of my patients have seen 10 to 12, 15 doctors. So I have the benefit of knowing what it's not. Now, I mean, I have patients who've come into me and I couldn't tell what's wrong with them. So I'm not going to blame anybody and say, well, eventually, hopefully you end up with someone who has the right direction. But mm-hmm. a lot of medicine is exclusion. Uh, you know, I would have said, gee, do you have thyroid problems? We'd, we, we draw blood tests. Uh, you do an oxygen test to see if you're oxygenating. I mean, there's enough data here that is normal to rule out asthma, mm-hmm. enough to rule out Raynaud's, which is a purple hands, enough to rule out anemia, and I assume the doctors drew some blood, right? Uh, yeah. And they did these tests, and it says, gee whiz, nothing is really fitting, and until they get him on a treadmill, because we know the diagnosis, they're shooting from the hip. And I wouldn't take someone that I didn't know what the problem was and load them up with steroids, which is extra fluid, and I'm sure... James nodding his head, he's going to say he felt pretty crappy after they gave him all the steroids and put extra water in his system, right? 70 pounds of water weight. Wow, 70 pounds. 70 pounds. I had size 48 pants. And how long did that uh, take to gain the 70 pounds of water weight? About eight months. Now, that can't be healthy. Right. I mean, when you have a lot of water weight, doesn't that affect your heart negatively of as well? Of course. So what happens is the doctor, by saying, well, it's asthma because all I treat is asthma and all we treat asthma with is steroids, I'll treat you with steroids. And we're talking about prednisone, not the anabolic steroids. So now, assuming this has gone on, now he's in real heart failure with 70 pounds of water weight. Now are they smart enough to send you to the cardiologist? Uh, yeah, that was their next step when I couldn't even get up and walk through a mall without oh my God. wanting to die. I can't believe they did, were doing that. But did, did, you, did you get the cardiologist before the hospitalization or they put you in the hospital and then get the cardiologist? No, I went up and saw the cardiologist before the hospitalization. Okay. And was this any of the cardiologists that, you know, I know? Ruben Fire. Okay. So they now sent you to University of Michigan. Correct. They sent you to the professor. The man supposedly up there. Yeah, well, he is, and the, a nice man. And uh, and he looks at you and says, "What the four letter word?" But he doesn't say that. I mean, he he's very professional. But he looks at you and says, "What the hell is going on?" In a nice way. Uh, yes. Okay. Is that a nice way of putting it? <laughs> yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. You know, well, I was said, "Who was the idiot who treated you with the steroids?" But that's okay. So he now sees this guy who's forty forty one years old. The 70 pound water weight gain who can't breathe, walk, and talk. So, what does what does a university person do? Um, he decides to give me stress tests. Okay, which is a good idea. But uh, he gave me stress tests back to back one on a treadmill one day, uh, and the next day, the one where they use drugs to speed up your heart instead of you doing anything, you just lay on the table. It's called a thallium stress test. That's okay. Good to know. All right. And at this point in time, they've hit you back to back hard. So where are you day three? Are you in the hospital? No, day three, I'm in his office and he's, well, I knew this person for 20 years as a customer in the business that I had. And as a patient, everything changes. You know that. Mm. Um, he's like, if I didn't know you and I didn't do these stress tests, looking at these stress tests side by side, I could tell it was the same person at all. They're completely different. Meaning that the second test... Was even worse than the first one. Because you exhausted yourself with the first test. Probably, yeah. So this is the logic of what the doctors have to put together because it's not just one balloon on the wall. It's a cascade effect. And as we treat with drugs or we treat with tests, it changes performance and the doctor has to recognize that his intervention changes... What's happening? So he could have done well on the test way two weeks and done well on the test. So the fact that he put these tests back to back showed he had no recovery. Mm. His cells couldn't recover from the first test, making the second test look really poor. What was the time frame between the two tests again? 24 hours. But also, the drug didn't work. Every time they inject you with the drug every three minutes, it's supposed to speed your heart up. It slowed my heart down which made the person giving me the test very nervous. And he got a hold of the doctor on the phone. He said, listen, <laughs> you want to do this, fine, but I, I, I'm stepping out of the picture. I don't want to do He stopped it. 
All right, so now what did the university doctor say when uh, he told you now? I wouldn't believe it, but one is worse than the one before. Uh, he didn't know what was wrong with me, and uh, he started coming up with a lot of, well, anybody would, like trying to defend their actions and what they did. But he sent me to see a man named uh, Dr. Martinez, and he was heart, a lung man. He was a dyspnea clinic director, and he's actually the person who found the disease. This guy is really, from bright, he's brighter. Um, his understanding of physiology, how things work, is the best I've seen. So the cardiologist says, did, he, did, did Rumfire use the term uh, heart failure? Yes. So he says, you're in heart failure, and I can't explain why a 40-year-old guy is in heart failure. And this is, what, 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. Well, not quite. You're 54. 54. This is 14 years ago. So I can't explain why you're in heart failure. And Martinez understands that any cell can go into heart failure. Your kidney cells can go, in, it, it can go into failure. Your kidney cells, mitochondria, can go into failure. Your lung cells can go into failure. Your muscle cells can go into failure. Really? Yeah, because these cells can't generate enough energy to keep you going. I mean, what happens when your furnace runs out at home? Okay, it doesn't make any difference whether you got gas there or not. Your furnace doesn't work. You got no heat. You got mm-hmm. no energy. And that's what's happening. His cells have aged three, four times faster than other cells would be. So mm-hmm. while you and I might be in heart failure at 90, he's in heart failure at 40. His cells have aged because they couldn't generate enough energy. Wow. So, uh, yeah, Martinez is, is brilliant. So uh, he made the diagnosis, is that right, of the myochondrial dysfunction? He uh, went to a webpage that I had found slowly one after another article started to show up from doctors. Not many, but yeah, from nothing it went to 10, from 10 it went to 100, 12, you know, 1,200. That's about when he hit it. And he found something on there that struck his fancy or some made something in him curious. He personally contacted the physician, and from speaking to that physician, he ordered the test to find this disease. It's a biopsy and a blood test, and they all had to be sent away. They didn't do any of them at U of M or anywhere in Michigan. So this would be like sent to like the Bethesda, which is the central facility in Washington. And for all the strange and exotic diseases, uh, the cultures, you know, like when they come through with a Ebola virus or something else, there's a center. Mm-hmm. And the Bethesda Center is probably where it is. Is where I send biopsies where the pathologists have questions. This is the last word. And when they do a biopsy of this muscle, what, did they do it on your leg? Uh, left leg first, yep. then right leg. Okay, so they do this biopsy of the muscle and send it off to, uh, to Bethesda, and then you have a meeting with Martinez, and what does he tell you? Uh, it was strange. He waited six months to tell me he knew what I had. He, he could have called. That's just the first waited thing. Waited six months. Yeah, waited six months. Uh, anyway, he said, this is what you got. There's no cure. Um, it's one in a million every third generation. Uh, I've told Dr. Rubenfire, basically, uh, you know, whatever time you have left is the time you have left. Really? No hope whatsoever? No hope and told me to go see Rubenfire again, just to be sure. What are you feeling at that moment? Well, I probably figured I was going to get bad news the way I was looking and the way I was feeling, you know, going from being in shape and all of a sudden a blob with 70 pounds of water weight that can't even walk around a mall. But at 40 years old... You're being told this news. I mean, felt, didn't feel good. You, I mean, are are you depressed at that point, or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was very depressed. I, I mean, I mean, were you willing to take that information at face value and say, "Well, there's nothing I can do," or did you decide to start looking around for other doctors at that point in time? Oh, I never said there was nothing I can do. They said there was nothing I could do. Yeah, I hate when they do that. Well, I told you, rule number one. You've heard me say it at least. 50 times, number one function of a physician is to use the word hope. We don't have all the answers, and you know, I just had a young girl I just saw who I had to tell her that she's never going to get pregnant. Her ovaries have failed. But we tried everything possible first and then gave her options on having babies. The point is, if there is any chance of trying, it's one thing I do here in the office is I don't give up. I'll give it uh, a good college try, and we'll try different things, mm-hmm. even if it doesn't appear in the literature, because it makes sense that we can improve the power of the body to heal. So, uh, 
were you still holding the 70 pounds of water weight at that point in time or did you did they use diuretics to get some of the water off um, in that six months are you still no diuretics they just weaned me off all the prednisone and inhalers and all that and you lost some of the weight I started losing weight, but in the meantime, Martinez had given me something called a spirometry meter where you breathe into it. Right. And then he had me calling in every day to the hospital so he could see it, and he used to call me at home. And once I lost all my water weight and things started to get straightened out, which we'll get to, he told me at that time that the reason he'd call me at home is it was so bad he thought I was going to drop dead the next minute, and he wanted to talk to me. Oh, man. I can't even imagine being in your shoes. What a horrible place to be. And so you're feeling like crap all of this time, obviously. And now what are you doing? I went back to the heart doctor. Big mistake. Uh, I won't tell you the language he put it in. but because, you know, This man has known me for 20 years. He's more of a friend than he was a doctor at that point. Mm-hmm. He's like, I told you uh, there's no cure for this. I told you steroids won't work on you. Nothing will work on you. Human growth hormone won't work on you. It would destroy your organs if you took it in the dosages you'd need it. Stop being a baby. Go home, get your stuff in order, and uh, don't exercise. No matter what you do, do not exercise and just prepare for death. What an ass. Well, I don't know if you'd call him an ass, but that's what he <laughs> Dr. Lickton, I rarely get a, a cringe out of you, but I did there. I mean, come on, man. I mean, what kind of information is that to tell a patient in that situation? I mean, did he really tell it to you like that? Worse. He used the P word and told me to man up. Man up. Mm-hmm. But now this is like well, a buddy talking to you now, so it's not like a total stranger I've never met before. Well, you know, what a buddy. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, hey, man up, you know, just face it. You're going to die. I, I want to I'm <laughs> I'm bumming out right now. I got to get some good news here. I got to hear how you're starting to turn things around and, and how you found Dr. Lichten. Am I missing a part or do we eventually get to you? Well, eventually, obviously, he's here. It gets yeah. to me. But you know, the whole story, just like we have with the other patients, I don't get the whole story. You know, when they come in my office, I say, oh, yeah, we'll try this. And it gets better, you know, hopefully, uh, and more often than not. And then later I hear the real story. So now I'm hearing a lot of this for the first time. I knew pieces. But uh, uh, how he gets from here, whether it's Todd or it's Isaac Barr. Leninger. Okay, fine. So, you know, he's got other issues because one of the things he'll describe is that because of all this fluid that he's had in his cells, his cells can't clear the poisons. So his body, I don't, I don't know if he's going to describe it as, as if he's got a thousand needle pricks or whether it's a burning pain, but every muscle in his body can't clear the poisons. So the amount of pain he starts to go through, which we haven't even started with, it'll be part of the other discussions. Not just that he's in heart failure, can't breathe. But all these muscles, you know, if I say hurt, it's an understatement. So why don't you tell us about the, the muscle pain and how, what brought you to Leininger? Uh, when the muscle dies, and eventually that's what they're doing, they're, they're dying slowly and you're losing output. It's kind of like a severe charley horse. You're awake. It's kind of like being bombed alive. It's like you get a cramp, wherever it is, it's dying, and you start shaking and getting horrible pain, and no matter what you do, you can't get rid of it because the muscle's dying. I mean, and it's going bye-bye. There's nothing you can do. Um, plus, my back had been broken in an off-road motorcycle accident years ago uh, in a gravel pits in Ann Arbor. Very smart of me. <laughs> no shirt on the 250 Yamaha. Real smart guy. Been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not the same way. <laughs> and uh, I went to see a pain specialist. And he was so intrigued by what I had, and plus he knew Dr. Lichten, that he kept telling me that I should see him because he had different techniques, different ideas. He believed in medicine, but he was also a naturalist and Mm -hmm. searched for different avenues, different venues, anything to make uh, a cure come to fruition. And he, he just kept mentioning it, but I had seen so many doctors, you know, that I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, after a while, after your hundredth doctor, <laughs> right? You know, it's not. It had nothing to do with personal for anybody. It was just like I couldn't stand one more disappointment at that period. So I, I, I waited uh, at, at least a year before I came to see Doctor Lichten because at that point I knew I was going to drop dead any minute. I mean, I knew there was nothing more I could do. 
So I, I've heard how other doctors responded when you came to them. Tell me when you came to Dr. Lichten, what was that experience like? Um, pretty cool, actually. Not just because he had an office full of babes, but... Uh, <laughs> Did you have an office full of babes? I must have missed that. <laughs> you remember, I'm a gynecologist, so this is 15 oh, years ago. Yeah, well, I, so see, he, he thinks that it's something's interesting that this guy's got all women patients. Well, he didn't have all women patients, but I had... You know, 90, 95% were women patients back then. Yeah, it was a drag. Since, since I've known Dr. Lichten, <laughs> it's not the case. It's, you know, anti-aging and wellness. So I, I missed that period of your life. <laughs> There's been a lot of periods of my life. So so you're here, you're talking to Lichten, and uh, what's he telling you? Um, I just briefly went over it with him. He scheduled more time than any doctor I've ever seen for the first time to go over everything. Say you're going to have to go through these tests. Some of them were kind of different hair and saliva tests. Uh, others were your blood tests, you know, things like that. I need to see your chemistry to know where your body is at before I can do anything. Okay, so hang on for one sec. What are you looking at differently than the other doctors did? Or are you running the same test just to see if they're any different? No, basically the philosophy we've talked about, you know, for these three albums is you have to have two things to work. One, you have to have nutrients, and two, you have to have the hormones and the energy to take the nutrients to make new cells. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to have a gas in the car, you got to have a driver. So what I did back then was we looked at some very specific off-branded tests to look at the nutrition. And one of the tests measures what's called the Krebs cycle, which is this how your body produces energy. And I was looking to see if he had a mineral deficiency or some specific element that we could use to generate more energy and uh you'll talk about the carnosine and things like this so we looked at the nutritional component um we talked about coq10 as a means of a natural over-the-counter product that we use in heart failure to make people stronger i want to get in your mindset a little bit you know the other doctors had said go away there's nothing you can do what's giving you cause for hope well, what happened was at Providence, I had talked to a cardiologist um, who was open-minded, and he had sent a patient to me who had the same disease. So Isaac sent me a patient by the name of Sam who was in bedridden and puffy like a balloon and could only get out of bed for two or three hours a day. Had a little kid he couldn't take care of. I had a wife that divorced him because he was not functional. And Sam had had a uh, issue where he had uh, uh, had this attack occur, uh, bodybuilding. Uh, he was very strong, big guy, uh, using diuretics, but he had a cardiomyopathy as well. So I was discussing with uh, this cardiologist some of my studies in using growth hormone and testosterone in treating patients who had diseases people said couldn't cure. And so Isaac said, I got a patient for you. He says, I don't know what to do with this guy. He's a nice guy and he's going to die. So he sent Sam over to me. And we did the same thing with Sam. And this is about four or five years before Jim here. And what happened was we put him on growth hormone, put him on testosterone and the anabolic steroids. And lo and behold, this guy dropped weight uh, went back to the gym, went back to driving, took care of his family, established a relationship, uh, was able to have sexual relations again. And basically for five years, six years, seven years after being bedridden and totally be dead, he's up and functioning. And we, I had learned by treating him some of the complications that could occur. And what happened was, you know, we, we learned that testosterone would raise his blood count. So I had to follow his blood count so his blood count wouldn't be too thick. So I learned that by taking care of him because I'm watching and monitoring the patient. And that's important because? If the blood gets too thick, you can't pump it because he's got a weak pump, right? weak heart. So it gets sludgy. And what happened was uh, what caused Sam's demise is he had, because he had a major heart attack, uh, they put a pacemaker in and the pacemaker didn't function. There was some delays in getting the pacemaker in. His blood count went up because he was trying to get more oxygen, and he stroked. So, but the fact is that Sam had seven years after where everybody had given him the kiss of death, and he had a real life. And he was out driving his Corvette instead of being in bed with on oxygen. That was the difference in function. So we established clinically he went from a New York stage four 
to New York stage one. And his ejection fraction, which was under 15%, obviously had to be up over 30, 40%. So I had talked to uh, Dr. Barr about this and we monitored Sam and Sam did well. And I was looking for more patients when lo and behold, New England Journal of Medicine, Dr. Fazio publishes the use of growth hormone in patients with cardiomyopathy. And he shows he's able to get these people from under 14, which is bedridden, into the 20s. And here I am, the gynecologist, treating the guy with heart failure, and I've got him from 14 into the 40s. The 14 again is? 14% of his heart is emptied when he squeezes his heart. And you and I are ejecting at least 60%. Yeah, that's really low, isn't it? I mean, well, if you can't pump any blood, you die. Yeah, I mean, the information here that showed that you had a problem was under 40%. So 14 is. Yeah, that's whether you're in New York stage four, you're in bed rest waiting for the you know, Green Reaper. Oh boy. And what happened was we had the experience, I had the experience of working with Sam for a period of six, seven years until he had a cardiac complication independent of this, and his life and quality of life was improved. So when. Jim comes in, I say, well, I've got experience, you know, you just give me the most difficult patient to take care of, I can take care of him, everybody else is easy. So Jim is really no more difficult in some respect, a little easier in some respect. He has a heart failure problem, but he hasn't had a heart attack, doesn't have a heart dysfunction. His problem is his cells aren't working well. So we address it from a nutritional standpoint, which he knows more than I, and I address it from a hormonal standpoint, knowing how each one of the anabolic steroids, the testosterone, the decadurable, and the growth hormone works. And then we do this one-on-one. You try this. If you're better, we continue. You get worse, you call me, we change. So this is an ongoing process between doctor and patient Mm -hmm. that has extended now for 14 years. Now, I don't remember, but Jim will tell you how things occurred and what order we did but we basically looked for nutritional elements that he would be deficient in and hormonal that he'd be deficient in. And together, we could actually put gas in the car and a powerful driver in his auto. Well, Dr. James Roberts, who is a cardiologist and expert, has written some books. He talked about that no one goes into the ER with a heart attack without having their testosterone levels just trashed. There's nothing there at the point they have a heart attack. Right, and the estrogen levels are dramatically increased, but no cardiologist measured testosterone levels. Except Jim does because he and I had a patient, and Sam was one of the patients, and and James is another one of them. And the cardiologist says, I don't know what the gynecologist is doing, but hell, these patients are actually (laughs) doing better. Um. So I want to learn. And that's the difference between the guy from Cleveland Clinic and the guys in Ann Arbor you know, I know everything. And 15 years later, they still say they don't know why James is here. But James knows why he's here. We did exactly what they said they didn't know anything about. We replaced the nutrients and replaced the hormones. And that's the difference between being on this side of the dirt and the other side of the dirt. Well, let me ask you this. Do you find a correlation between people with heart failure and their blood levels of testosterone and human growth hormone being low? Oh, definitely. It's in the textbook. And it shows that if you measure the testosterone-estrogen ratio of these people in their 80s, you know, these guys look more like girls. So, I mean, that sounds like a no-brainer to me. If it's really low and you've got the issue and you replace it and you get better, I mean, what's so hard about that? Because the internists aren't trained to use hormones. Oh. So it's like saying, here's a knife, go ahead and do brain surgery, Steve. You know, they don't know. They're afraid to put themselves out and go in an area where there's no no expertise. Mm-hmm. They're w- worried about some complication they can't adjust to. So they would rather put their head in the sand. And uh, even when the article appeared in the New England Journal of Medicine with growth hormone, didn't mean everybody ran out and put growth hormone on these patients. They said, well, you know, if I give you too much growth hormone, you're going to get carpal tunnel and your heart failure could get worse and you could gain weight. And So we won't even try. You see, what we do differently here is we learn from our patients. And the patient knows they're in a relationship one-on-one. It's your life and I'll help you. But you got to help me. Mm-hmm. And I rarely, I have only a few patients who have actually been self-destructive. Most people want to live. 
and they'll work hard at it. And Jim comes back with articles for me. So over the 15 years, he supplied me more information than the university people will ever see on cardiomyopathy. But where we're at is he comes to see me, we do some tests, we identify some mineral and hormonal deficiencies, and the story's yours because it's been a long time for me. I don't remember what we did. Um, he decided to, um, at that point, start the HDH because it was low human growth hormone. Um, How did you feel after that? Well, he started it with the testosterone at the same time, the nandrolone and decanate. Yep. Um, so it was never by itself, but it definitely made a difference immediately. They both did. Made, made a huge difference. I could feel the difference. Energy? More energy. Um, obviously, the water weight started coming off faster because I could exercise now and I could walk and do things. And I, like the other guy, went back to the gym, started lifting weights again, started hitting the treadmill. You started exercising again? Yeah. I mean, this is a doctor told him, don't you dare exercise. Not to get my heart over 110 under any circumstance. And so now he's got energy. He's working out. Amazing. Eight hours a day. Every day I have to. See, his muscles die if he doesn't train them. So we're not talking about just muscles in his arms. We're talking about his heart. So I think Jim told me you do like seven miles on the treadmill every day. Yeah. This is a guy who couldn't get out of bed who's doing seven miles on the treadmill to maintain his muscle mass. Oh, my God. That's amazing. And the point is this, is, this story goes back and forth over 15 years back to the university, and there's still no acceptance that someone out there doing something differently could, in fact, benefit the thousands of patients they see with the same condition. So the, the joke for the people inside the university and outside the university, we say NIH. You know, you know NIH is the National Institute of Health. Mm-hmm. But if you're a doctor inside the university and you don't come up with it, it wasn't invented here, so it's really not real. Gotcha. So this is the problem with the universities where, well, we have money and we have grants and we do all this research and we have all these drug companies giving us new drugs. And I'm saying, hey, guys. These drugs have been around for 60 years. You know, this guy won the Olympics using this. If he could be a good runner, becoming a great runner, maybe we can take a guy who's in borderline heart failure and make him strong enough so he can function. And it's not just one patient, okay? I mean, this is a very rare disease. I have now four or five or six of these people. In every case, a university doctor, same doctor, same story, says there's nothing we can do. Until he looks and see who referred him, and then he says, well... Uh, whatever Licton's doing, it's uh, it's Licton doing. Didn't say it's okay, but you know it's Licton doing. When Doctor Licton said you're doing a back and forth with the hospital, I mean you were going back to the hospital for testing throughout the years and uh, the 15 year uh, period of being treated. Well, I stayed with Doctor Martinez for a while because uh, the left side of my diaphragm is completely paralyzed, mm-hmm. so he would keep an eye on that and see how I was breathing just to. Plus, he was interested in how I was coming along with the disease. He didn't want to write a script. He didn't want to have anything to do with that. But he wanted to keep track of things. He wrote a paper. They all wrote papers. But see, if they wrote papers, I wouldn't make it. So until I die, they're all screwed. And basically, that's what's pissing but, him off. But this guy is intrigued. See, this is the difference. This is what's right here. Yes. He's intrigued to say something I don't know is working. I don't have to have all the answers. But there's something here I should know about, and that's why I like him the most, is that because he will say, I don't know, but it makes sense and I can see a difference, not I have everything right in my box. So Martinez is asking the question that he's learning. He's pulling articles on growth hormone. He pulls the article in New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, and he's, he's, I think, pretty comfortable with the growth hormone because it was published in, in a big journal. Now, I'm using more than one drugs because the mixture of them allows me to minimize the side effects and maximize the gain. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to say it's a mini bodybuilding program, fine. We each drug has a positive and a negative aspect. We want the most positive we can. We minimize the fluid gain with testosterone by adding nandrolone. We increase the nandrolone, uh, but the nandrolone has certain other side effects. We add the growth hormone, but you can't add too much because it can cause diabetes. We add another drug 
because it's going to free up more testosterone. And then we're going to work on all these nutrients that his body is just consuming because he's burning everything up and how to replace the nutrients. Now, all of this sounds expensive, and I'm guessing that insurance isn't a big role player here. Am I right or wrong? Insurance is a big role player here, but all the drugs that I'm prescribing are FDA approved. Now, you know, uh, Jim will talk about some of the, uh, the vitamins and minerals that he bought, which are prescription as well. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that his bill is 40000 a year uh, in drug therapy. But insurance is paying for this therapy, or a, a good portion of it? It was. And when we started doing this in 96, we had no issue and all his bills were paid. Because he has a real disease, and he has a real response. Now, if it's under a healthcare system like the Canadian healthcare system, they said, well, we're going to invest $40,000 a year in this guy. Maybe they will do it because he's 40, but they sure as hell won't do it when he's 85. Mm-hmm. So all these government rules, we're going to leave out of the discussion here, but we're going to say, yeah, the hospitalizations were covered, the specialists were covered, and the medication was covered because it was all FDA-approved medication. I just combined it differently, which is my right as a physician in the United States, for a unique application. Mm-hmm. And the key is it worked. With heart disease, you can take a look at scans and you can look 15 years later and see more plaque building up or maybe diminishing if you're lucky. Uh, With your situation, what do you see over the past 15 years when you today look at different blood reports? Do you see stability? Um, Well, Jim will address this better, but remember his defect is inside the cell. We can't take an x-ray inside the cell. It's a function. You know, like if you couldn't look inside the car and you lost two or three of your Camerods, you could see the car wasn't working well. It's the outside that shows us what's going on. And he found the difference in his function with his same car now gets him a chance to be up on the treadmill, work out in the gym, have a life. So I don't care what's happening inside the cell. I care what's help happening to the person. So that's the part I thought would be important for Jim to tell us is, okay, now that I'm starting to feel better because we goosed the system with some growth hormone and not a lot of it, and we started with low-dose nandrolone, like, you know, one-sixth of what McGuire was using, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're just got his levels into normal or upper normal range, and then what did you do to complete the job? Because you're the one that taught me about the nutrients your body needed to keep your heart going. Well, thankfully... Doctors started getting interested in it, and they started publishing papers left and right on the Internet. No, no cures, obviously, but things that positively worked for them. And I think there's a couple million on there. You can just type the name of my disease in there, and you're going to be reading for the next month. Um, it was mostly learning that carbohydrates is what I live on. Protein does me absolutely no good. So, I mean, that's the one upside to the whole disease. I get to live on crap. Everybody else has to toe the line. I can have all the carbs I want because that's what keeps me alive. The hard part about that is it's a horrible fuel compared to breaking down the protein and using that. And if you take too many carbs, it turns into fat. So if you want to work out and get some kind of a result, burn some calories and do something for your muscles, you got to figure out how many, how many of these carbs do I have to take where the exercise is going to be for nothing and I'm just going to get fatter as compared to not taking enough carbs and starving my body even more and getting off the treadmill and Mm -hmm. feeling like I'm going to drop dead. Why is protein not helpful? It's the disease. I'm not sure the the workings of it, how it works, but it doesn't do any good for me. But, I mean, you need protein to build muscle. Right, but he's breaking down his protein. His muscle is breaking down, so he has the raw elements all through his body right now. The trick is the carbs are the energy that allows him reprocessing the protein he already has. It's not like he's, you know, three months old and has to make muscle. He's had the muscle. And if he's able to save that protein, that broken down protein, then he doesn't need to add much more. Mm-hmm. And that's a real thing. It's, it's called turnover. If you can remake the cell, and that's what he has to do, he has to remake the cell three times faster than you or I have to, then he can function and he can live until the cell can't reproduce anymore. 
Talk to us about the supplements beyond carbohydrates that you take. Uh, is there any one in particular that's special? I mean, I've heard that CoQ10 is uh, very necessary for heart function. The big ones that most people know about now, too, are CoQ10, uh, the Carnitore, because I don't have any. Um, in fact, they make one now that's called Carni Q something. And what it is, it's tocopherol. Carnitor and CoQ10 mixed together in one pill. It's so, very expensive, but so what he's talking about is carnitine is an amino acid, and it's part of what his cells need. Uh, the tocopherol is vitamin E. Of course, huge doses of vitamin C. I assume you're taking as well mm-hmm. to try to clear out the waste products. Huge. But, but when we look at the, you know, the off-label tests to mm-hmm. see where his amino acids were. Lo and behold, he's got zero and two or three amino acids because his body was consuming and breaking him down and he wasn't able to reprocess it. So the carnitor, carnitine, uh, cysteine, uh, L-arginine, these specific amino acids, his body was weakened. And without doing this esoteric test, off-label test, we wouldn't have had an idea just exactly what was being destroyed. So to give him more of the wrong food wouldn't have helped. But he figured out, with the test, we figured out what worked. And then he takes it back and see how it works with you. So these products help. Taking DHA doesn't make you feel well. Taking thyroid makes it better. Taking this thyroid uh, makes you feel worse. So it's a trial and error process because there's only one gym with this disease that affects him uniquely. So we have to devise a unique treatment step by step by step. And, there you know, so over this period of time of uh, 15 years, uh, would you say we've had uh, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 conversations? Easily. And a lot of the designs from health stuff that you can't get around here helps a lot, too, that you carry. So what is that again, the supplements that you carry? Yeah, he, he, found, he found the supplements. I mean, I had some good general supplements, but he found, based on our testing, specific supplements like this Carnitor, which is prescription and that's great for heart failure of patients. And the CoQ10, we've gone through different companies until our gym comes back and says, this one works the best. So it's a one-on-one. You can tell? Oh, yeah, night and day. You can tell from CoQ10 when you have more energy. Oh, yeah. CoQ10 breaks, helps the energy break down in your cell. So if you don't have any CoQ10, it's not going to break down either. So with someone in your situation, I would imagine the doses would be high because I've heard with the people with just heart disease, 200, 300 milligrams a day is, is on the average. So are you above that? Um, I try and stay at about 200 if I can, but it's just very expensive. I was injecting it for a while. He had found an injectable version, which was nice, but it hurt like a son of a gun when it went into your muscle. Mm-hmm. And it ached for days like the old shots used to for tetanus shots. Mm-hmm. And if you nick the vein, and Doc always tries everything on himself first, which show me a doctor who does that. If you nick a vein and you get it in your bloodstream, your lungs start to cease. You get like an itchy, scratchy feeling. It's like you have to be very careful with Yikes. it. So he decided that, you know, it was too dangerous to mess with. Good decision. <laughs> well, no, it really worked wonderful. Well, it yeah. worked wonderful. Yeah. Well, it's good to know because you hear a lot of people say, well, supplements don't really work. But when you're in uh, James's situation. Well, yes, imagine telling a, uh, a sailor in the 1500s whose teeth are falling out that uh, uh, don't eat the limes. Right. Uh, because. Uh, <laughs> Uh, your teeth are going to fall and you're going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the bottom line is when you have a position of authority, which doctors tr- at least try to maintain, you have to have humility with it to say, yes, I'm the professor, but I don't have all the answers. You know, we're not gods. We're not deities. We're information sites. And there is more information. I mean, we've talked about it, and I think we're getting close to 50 different topics where every one of the patients you and I have interviewed here is being treated than anybody else does in the whole world. And the patient results are great. And the answer is, then why isn't everybody else doing it? Because there's no comfort there, there's no money there, there's no training there to actually do something better. And what every patient has to do is says, I am in charge of my own health. I'm not trusting the federal government to take care of me, look at Clinton, 
who's younger than I am with his five-vessel bypass, best medical care in the world, well, I'll take mine over his, you have to research. And now with the Internet, uh, you can find information. And knowing what is published, you can find all the articles from the NIH called PubMed, and you can find it. Yes, it's going to be tough. But I read another story of another family who had kids with two, two diseases, a rare, very rare form of disease, and the parents put together the group to cure the kids. So there is always hope that we can do something. A Lorenzo oil type story, yeah, great. You know? So I don't like doctors who say this is it because I say so. Mm-hmm. Trust me, I've got kicked out of more classes in medical school for saying but you haven't explained to me why you're right until they say, I'm the professor, and if you don't like it, get your ass out of the room. Mm-hmm. This philosophy is wrong, whether it's coming from the president of the United States or the professor at the university. You are an individual. What works for you is what's right. And James' work with the nutrients have been, has been superb. And I think, you know, we've gone through some pretty hairy times lately when he couldn't get his medication, but... You know, I don't think there's a day goes by that you would trade for 15 years ago. No. Well, <laughs> except maybe my recent hospital experience. Well, but that, <laughs> but you wouldn't have gotten there if you didn't have the 15 years. But That's true. Didn't get, didn't get his medications, and hospitals did not supply him with the appropriate medication, and caused a complete withdrawal of a, a physical withdrawal that w- was uh, more than scary. But you're here, and you're doing better, and we've weathered that just like we weathered a, a few other 20, 30 complications in this existence. But they were all your theory that you've been explaining all this time. It was the doctors. They knew better. They talked to Dr. Leninger. They, uh, they talked to Dr. Lichten. They talked to the physicians who were taking care of me and knew me and chose to totally ignore them, even though they don't know this disease they don't know how to treat it. They never heard of it. The ones that did knew that it was not popular, so why even bother looking for a cure for it? There's no money in it. Mm-hmm. And they just chose to ignore everybody. And even me, I would go out in the hallway to talk to them. They wouldn't talk to me. They'd keep talking about what they were doing that night. They'd look at the floor. They'd look at the ceiling. I'm like... <laughs> See, there's a physiological change that's occurring now that's really, really destructive. You know, the old doctor is the one that, you know, I paralleled or, or, or at least tried to image myself after was the family doctor who knew the family, talked to him, put the hand on the shoulder, you know, was there. You could talk to him. You, he gave you hope. He gave you information. I mean, I give you a whole lot of stuff that worked, but you never <laughs> felt you never felt that you were imposing upon him when you went to the doctor. That's number one. Now we've cut the body up into so many pieces that you saw the cardiologist, the allergist, and everything else, and no one knows the person. Now, the third problem is that the hospitals have now gone to a program called hospitalists. When you're admitted to the hospital, there's a doctor from the hospital who sees you. He didn't know what the hell's going on. He's just there to keep the system moving. He didn't have time. He doesn't have the inclination to know you. So if he doesn't spend the time to get all the doctors together, when you have a hospitalist, you're in trouble. I mean, it's great for an emergency because someone's there. Yeah. But if you're sick and you have all this history and you can't give it to him in a nice, clean, presented fashion where he can process it in 30 seconds, you're up the creek. And the hospitalist programs, although one of my kids is a hospitalist, another one's going to become a hospitalist, this is terrible medicine because you don't know your patients. If you don't know your patients, they're not going to talk to you. You can't instill hope. And you sure as heck can't understand all the specialities because each person is an individual. So we have a real problem in medicine that hopefully we can address by what we're doing here. And that says, find your answers on the Internet. Ask the doctors. Raise the questions. And I have people who see me from four continents. And we're glad to try to give you the quality of life that a doctor should be offering. Hope. Healing. Quality of life. That's what we're all about. James, in the final couple of minutes that we have, what's your outlook like today? Since you've been seeing Dr. Lichten, you're feeling better. You've had some issues here and there. But all in all, it seems like you're, you're doing okay. Um, 
Yeah, I'm doing much better than I was doing, but uh, honestly, that hospital business really just set me back so far. I don't know what's going to happen now. They stripped me of all my meds for seven days and seven nights, just stripped me and just left me laying in the bed. Now, an average person loses, would you say, 5% a day just laying in bed. Just one day, you lose 5% of your muscle mass, and it takes you like a week to get it back. A normal, a normal person. Mm-hmm. What is it going to take me to get that, those seven days back and put back on what I lost if I can? So now I have to deal with high blood pressure. I have to deal with diabetes. I, this is all the wonderful things that these people did for me. It's like, and I'm sure it will level out. And he's right. The more my testosterone gets, Dr. Lichten told me the testosterone level gets normalized. Everything else will slowly get back up to where it was. It's getting it there and and living through getting it there, mm-hmm. you know, pushing yourself when you don't even want to move enough to where you don't even want to eat. It's a burden to get up and grab something to eat it. That's how bad the fatigue can get. Well, believing that it will come back, that it will level off, you have a, a stronger degree of hope now than you did years ago. Correct? Oh, sure. Oh, definitely a stronger degree of hope. I, I don't believe a word a doctor says except for maybe three doctors in the world now, Dr. Lichten being number one. And um, people should not just take what they're told for granted at face value. Everybody's body is different. Everybody responds differently. Mm-hmm. And when somebody says, oh, I know, I'm just going to fix everything and change everything here. Stop taking that and take this instead. They don't even know you. They don't know what you have. Stay away from people like that. It's like he said, that's a terrible medicine. So what's your message then to people that have just been diagnosed with heart failure or something similar to what you have, or maybe they've been living with it for a few years and they're still in that medical system? What do you tell them? Well, see Dr. Lichten, number one. Um, number two, never say die because your body was made to be pushed. Your body can't be sit around. The normal human body needs to be challenged and pushed all the time. And if you just do nothing and give in to the, well, I guess any disease, you're not going to last very long. So just say, yes, I'm going to get better. Just mm-hmm. the attitude, the mindset alone will make you get through a lot of things. And don't leave any stone unturned. I mean, even if you don't believe it, try it. I'm not saying go out and pop some acid or something. I'm just, you know, acupuncture, Reiki, I mean, anything. Vitamins, minerals, amino acids, all the things that doctors talked about. Try it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep your hope. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming here and talking to us and sharing your experience. I, I believe it will help a lot of other people. And I can tell by looking at you, you have a strong determination. So I wish you the best of health. Thank you. Thanks, James, for being part of the program. Dr. Lichten, any final thoughts from you? No, I just think that we have to look at what we know today as just a step forward, and we'll know more tomorrow. And with every new treatment and new application, we have to find new and better ways of doing it. And this is not going to come from the drug companies. It's going to come by real doctors treating real patients. So don't lose sight that these new toxic drugs are probably not the right answer. One in eight drugs is removed from FDA approval every year now. So after the FDA approves it, somehow it's too toxic. We need to go back to more natural treatments. And my regimen is I take my vitamins, my coq 10s okay, uh, I take my anabolic steroids, injure myself I can't repair I take some growth hormone for a couple months and I use low doses to treat and this applies to my family members as well my wife's bone density looks better than her 25 year old okay so we can treat all these diseases if the body can have the energy and the nutrients to fix itself there's obviously a limit but let's have quality life well in our 80s and 90s if not longer I want our listeners to know how to get a hold of you. Uh, You have your website at usdoctor.com, all kinds of information there. Uh, But you're also available for consultations. People do fly in as well to see you. What's the phone number for people to call to contact you? 248-593-9900. 
1-800-273-8899. Of course, we have these stories on all kinds of diseases at uh, www.antiagingradio.com. And you can hear stories on, you know, listen to the stories because these are human interest stories. These are people talking about how their lives are changed. So maybe you don't have PMS, but someone else does. Maybe you don't have heart failure, but someone else does. And you can get a sense of well-being that we have the ability to change our lives. And it won't be the government doing it. And it would be really beneficial if you pass this information on to people that you know have these, that you see on anti-aging radio, these uh, symptoms or diseases. Uh, Tell them to listen. Programs are also available every week on iTunes. You can just search Dr. Licton and you'll find the three albums of the Licton Lifestyle. That's D-R space L-I-C-H-T-E-N. And the website's usdoctor.com. Because medicine's changing and we want each one of you to be part of a better, healthier, uh, longer, fruitful life. Here, here. Again, Dr. Licken, thank you so much for your time, all of the time throughout the past year you've spent every week doing this Licken Life style show to help other people. So thank you for all that you do. It's my privilege. And we'll talk to you next week with a new program on the Licken Lifestyle. I'm Steve Peck. Stay healthy.